Let me ask you this. How many uh, are praying over oikos? Do you even remember the word? And it's abbreviation for what? 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. Can you reach the world if you won't try to reach the 8 to 15? Can we pray for them? Can we evangelize them? Can we invite them to church? You know, we're going to be in this month of Easter. Many people will go. I have some neighbors. They never come with me unless it's Easter or Christmas. And so they'll pay us a visit. They're not, not believers yet, but at least they'll come. Be praying that uh, the word will go forth, that we'll have a great Good Friday and all like that. Please uh, keep that in mind. Today we're going to, by the way, if you're not in a home Bible study, there's still room. You can still join up. We've got some studies that are going to be starting, I think, brand new in April. And uh, it's, it's so wonderful. I never get to know people that I'm getting to know in a small group. Uh, just is totally different. And uh, now if you don't want to know anybody, if you don't want to belong, and you just want to walk in and go out, maybe you belong more to a club than a church because part of God's church is knowing each other enough to know they have a burden and to help them. And I like to say uh, Bob Baker and Dana are going to be moving out of the area, and Bob Baker's been one of the most faithful ushered men. We've got Bob, please stand. We just want to say thank you for all your service. All your faithfulness. He has been a beloved, beloved servant, and we'll miss them dearly for sure. Let's talk about a subject that I'm not going to preach. I'm going to try to explain some things. But is that okay? Preach it has such a negative. It's like I want to convict you or I want to nail you. No, I just want to explain some. What it tells us to be of the same mind one toward another. What does that mean? How is that possible? Look uh, at Ephesians. No, pardon me. Well, Ephesians will say it too. We, we'll take Ephesians 4, and then we'll go to Philippians 2. And it tells us we ought to walk in a worthy manner with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now look at Philippians 2. So if, and in the Greek it's a sense, there's different conditions in Greek, and some are to be taken for instance when Satan said to Christ, if you be the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. It's a sense. He knew he was. So, since there is encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, and participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Now, most of us don't know what that means, and we don't want to know because we are stuck in our opinion. What does that mean? Being of the same mind. We can't even get married people to be of the same mind. You know we're all going to vote for 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Same mind, one mind. One way of thinking. And if you know anything about people, you want to say, you're kidding. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind, and it's a command, and it's a present tense. Have this mind constantly in you, which is yours and which was in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to describe his humility and his stooping down from his position in heaven to the earth. Look at uh, the key verse that was used in our home Bible study to pivot off of this was Romans 12, just to show you these various verses. 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Has the idea of think the same thing. Do not be haughty, but, is, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now, let's explore how can you and I come to the same mind about anything as believers? What, I mean, uh, if you only knew how many churches have split over differences of opinion, right? Split over church music. That's a big one. That battle's been going on 20 years. I just had a man telling me that they've done studies that say if you're over 40, the music's always too loud. All you gray heads feel that way. You don't have to say it. We know that. They say those under 40, it's never loud enough. Why this difference? Well, they say those over 40 remember singing. They remember harmony. Anybody listen to country music? You might have lost your wife in your pickup, but at least they had harmony. <laughs> parts. You know, my own family, my dad's brother's sister, everybody was catching parts, catching parts. You loved it. Get your part. Get your, and I, I was a rover. I got anything that was left. But it didn't matter. We knew harmony. We loved harmony. I can't stand heavy metal music. You'd be amazed. At, I know guys around here on our staff that love it. Pray for their sanctification. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Wait, I've said, you can't even hear a harmonic. You know, there's no riffs there that make sense. It's boom, boom, okay. Don't. Uh, because those over 40, they say, grew up with harmony, maybe singing, school, family, church, and they want to hear themselves sing when they come to church, right? Now, we have a terrible building for singing. It's terrible. Uh, if we were doing it over, this is the latest. This is what young people like, but it goes whoop right up. Holy Ghost Hall was made for singing. Hardwood ceiling, hardwood floors, 
made. It resonated. It's great for rock concerts, Holy Ghost Hall, because it just resonated. And you hear yourself sing. This building, you can't. If you all sang, we'd barely get it. I couldn't hear you, Harley. It's just way, it's just absurd. It's terrible for singing, which I hate because I love to hear you sing. But if you're under 40, you don't want to hear yourself sing. And you don't want to hear your neighbor sing. Boom, 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 boom. I want to feel it. I don't want to sing it. Huh? Come on, I'm just telling. I'm putting your prejudice out on the table. Over 40, under 40. So who do you play music for? You say, well, the Lord. Well, it all sounds like noise to him practically. I mean, you got angels singing to you all the time. I hope you're not impressed with yourself. I mean, we do the best we can. Uh, and so how do we make decisions? Uh, we live in an age of tolerance and relativism. And let me quote to you from John Piper uh, when he defines what relativism. He gives four criteria. You're a relativist if you think this way. Uh, there is no objective external standard for measuring the truth or falsehood of a statement. There is no absolute measuring rod for any statement made. That's a relativist. We have nothing to measure what was said. Who said that was right? Who said it was wrong? Who determines if it's right or wrong? That's why some atheists who are relativists could never judge Hitler for killing Jews. Who said it's wrong? See, if you don't believe in some absolute standard, you can do whatever you want. Who said it was wrong? I make my rules. I'm a German. I'm in Germany. I could dominate with a gun. There are no rules. You've got to believe there's some external absolute standard to ever break a rule. And relativists, really, if he takes it logically, doesn't believe there's an absolute. So my opinion is as good as yours, right? Right? Sure it is. And on things that the Word of God has not spoken on, your opinion is your opinion and mine is mine. Let me give you a good example. We were uh, uh, building the Family Life Center. We were like in a deacon elder meeting. And when we were coming to the wrap-up on that, our architect, uh, and, well, got building it, he had a color scheme that he presented to the men and we said, absolutely not. We're already depressed. It was black stone on the floor, if you remember. Black, this nightmare to maintain. Night, it was just blah, blah. And guess what? It, brilliance came to light. We said, we want a woman to decorate the building. <laughs> we do not want any man to pick the colors. All you soberness, eat it up. He went out and hired a fine Christian decorator. She did a great job. And we could live with the colors. Well, those guys would have came up with would have been mud. Mud. The construction guy could build like a charm, 
but please don't pick the colors. Now, wait, wait. What makes one color more right than the other? So that's my taste. Everybody ought to like vanilla ice cream. No, no, that's your opinion. In matters of taste, there is no argument. If I like vanilla, you can't convince me to like chocolate. Do you know that? Are you aware of that? I'm sure you are. See, when everything God hasn't spoken on, you've got an opinion. And many times we fight over that difference of opinion. As though mine is the standard. It's not. I want it to be, but it's not. Two, there may be an external standard, but we can't know if there is. Okay, there might be some absolute out here, but nobody knows what it is. So we're in the same predicament. Three, there is an objective standard. We know it is there, but no one can figure out what it means. So it can't function as a universally valid standard. It's there, but you don't know what it means. I don't know what it means. We say two males shouldn't be having sex together. That's your opinion. No, we said, no, that's the word of God. Show me that. I don't agree. Who wins the argument? We got many people in the church ordaining homosexuals to be pastors. How can the church be so confused? They differ on what the Bible says, or the Bible doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. How do you determine politics? You know, the Republican debates, have they not been informative? <laughs> Just trash each other. Haven't dealt with one single policy that made sense. Just trash the opponent. You call that leadership for a nation? And, of course, many of you want to vote Bernie in because you want a free education. There may be an external objective standard, but I don't care what it is. I'm not going to submit to it. I'm not going to base my convictions on it. I will create my own standards. That's what we are today. I acknowledge no standard beyond my opinion. Now, let's come to us believers. Are we relativists? Do we get that chance? Uh, let me walk you through 1 Corinthians. I don't want to preach it, but I like to interpret it as we go through it, okay? 1 Corinthians 2. Let's pick up at verse uh, 6. And I'm, I just want to interpret this as we go through. Yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. All the way through 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, two wisdoms are at odds with each other. God's wisdom versus the world. So he's pivoting. He's not saying we ought to be brainless, that we shouldn't have wisdom. He's saying there's two ways of interpreting the world's way of thinking and God's way. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. God revealed it, but they didn't get it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Can you imagine the smartest men of the world said, kill God? You mean you can't recognize God when he's among you? No, 
We're going to kill him. That's the greatest folly of the wisdom of this age. When God walks in town, they crucify him. So then he says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. How many of you have ever heard that verse at a funeral? Yeah. We have no imagination what heaven's going to be like. This is all about heaven. It's not about heaven. Now watch. What you couldn't see, what you had not heard, and your heart could not imagine, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. God's Word is a revelation, an unfolding of His secret, of His mind, of His heart, what we could have never figured out with our eye, our ear, our heart, our imagination. He said, what we couldn't figure out, God has revealed. Now, the issue is, how did he reveal it? Well, he says here, he did it through the Spirit. Okay, all right, that's nice, but could you give me a little bit more clarification? For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit knows God, his mind. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? So your human spirit is involved with understanding, which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So far, so good. Would you agree? Can't hear you. The Spirit knows God's thoughts. But how does the Spirit get God's thoughts to us? That's the issue. Revelation, I'm going to reveal what you could never figure out. I'm going to do it by means of my spirit. Yes. So am I a mystic sitting around? Spirit, tell me. Spirit, tell me what God thinks. Spirit, spirit, spirit. And we got a bunch of mystical people that are that way. God tells them everything. Watch and watch. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Okay, okay, you told me that, Lord. Watch. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Well, why do we need the Spirit? That we might understand, think, the things freely given us by God. What has God freely given to us? The things he revealed in verse 10. The things we didn't see, think, feel, figure out. He has revealed them to us. Now watch. And we impart this in, what does it say? Words. Not mystical feelings, but words. Now watch this. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Now watch this. 
I'm doing ESV to keep you confused in what Bible you own. But it's really the word ought to be comparing spiritual truths to spiritual words. What's he saying? The Spirit is going to take what God is thinking. And through the agency of the Holy Spirit, God's going to reveal to us in words. And what kind of words? Words born to us by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to take spiritual thoughts, God's thoughts, and put them in spirit-chosen words. So the Bible is God's revelation of his mind, revealed his thoughts in the exact words for all Scripture has been breathed out by God. So I got a revelation. I've got the Spirit bringing it. And now I hold in my hand this revelation, God's mind in words. Now, Timothy said it's God breathed. So sometimes I said your Bible is breathing. It's a breathing book. It's God's breath. It's God's mind. Now watch, watch. You say, man, that's great. Everybody gets it. Watch, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They just don't welcome them as the princes of the age did. Why? For they are folly to him, and notice, he is not able to understand them because they are the Holy Spirit. The Bible just read, I started praying afresh over the Bible because I was getting bored reading it. And God said, you don't pray like you used to. Please teach me your word. I don't want to say I read three chapters. I want to hear God's voice. Today, if you'll hear his voice, turn my eyes into ears. I want to hear you. Ink and paper, that's all that is. All that is is ink and paper until the Spirit of God makes it alive to you. Non-believers can write as good books on the Bible as us. They know Hebrew. They know Greek. They can think. They just don't think Christ is it. We've got to have the Spirit. The natural man does. Now watch. Watch. We're not done. Don't rush ahead of me. Watch this. The spiritual person judges all things. He's able to discern it, but is himself to be judged by no one. The unsaved can't figure us out, but we can figure them out because we've got God's perspective. Should. Now watch this. Watch this. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? How can I know what God thinks? You don't believe me. How can I inform you? How can I figure God? And God's saying, listen to me. You can't figure me out. I had to reveal my mind, and I revealed it through the Spirit in words, in Scripture. Now watch this. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I, I, 
uh, used to wonder. I took that for years when I read it. I, subjectively, I've got the mind of Christ. So don't ever differ with me because I got the mind of Christ. You're differing with Christ when you differ with me. Boy, I love that, especially as a pastor. Don't mess, honey. I got the mind of Christ. What do you do when you get another pastor in the room and say, well, I do too, and I disagree. And I say, get in the spirit. Watch. I have the mind of Christ objectively revealed in words in a book. There's the mind of Christ. And I've got it because I've got the Holy Spirit in me that teaches me this book. But what if I never consult this book and everything is just my opinion and who, who cares if there's a standard out there? This is the way I think it ought to be. You're not telling me what to do. I say, no, no, no. We have the mind of God revealed in words in a book. Do you know what the book says? No, I don't care. I'm not governed by his words. I make my own rules. I make my own standard. Well, you're just as pagan and just as atheistic as somebody else, aren't you? But you need to know, first of all, what we are to think and the way we're to feel towards one another must be governed by the Word of God. Because we've got plenty of opinions floating around. Politics, music, um, uh, the value of gender. Uh, you, you know you're a woman, you're inferior. You know that, don't you? Did, did God's Word ever say that? Different role, but he never calls her inferior. Now, First Peter calls her the weaker vessel. They normally don't make good sumo wrestlers. Maybe your wife does, but mine doesn't. They're weaker there physically is the norm. Some of these babes look pretty well built. I mean, when you're pumping iron all the time, the norm is she's softer, not brute strength. That's the weaker in First Peter. It's not weaker intelligence. And all you men that feel that way, see me after the service. Don't say it now. You'd be in trouble. <laughs> not weaker towards that. Not a lesser image bearer. I mean, all the things. Well, so, uh, you're poor, I'm rich. You're lazy is the reason you're poor. You're lazy. If nobody that works will ever be poor. Everybody that's poor, it's their fault. They don't deserve help. FDR was a radical uh, socialist. And you say that to someone from Oklahoma and Louisiana and the Dust Bowl, they want to curse you. Said he gave us a job where nobody else would, whether you like his politics or not. Everybody poor, friend, is not lazy. Everybody poor, uh, it doesn't mean there's a curse. But we're such a spoiled, opulent nation, we can't figure out anybody not having. So, we criticize them. Gender issues, uh, racial issues, ethnicity. Before I decide who I'm going to like, I've got to see if they look like me. Do you think people of all the same color ever shoot each other? 
Come on. You are already on local weed if you don't know the difference. No. Be the same color and still hate that person. Huh? White or black. Or any other color. All these differences of opinion. But listen to what God says. I want you to think the same towards your brother and sister as I think towards them. Be of the same mind towards them. And in the Philippians passage, I want you to think like Christ does about your brother and sister. And how is that, Jesus, you think? Well, I think they're valuable enough. I'm willing to stoop down from heaven. Though they're my enemies and though they will kill me, I'll die the death on a cross. I will give up position. I will give up privilege and come and live like a poor man for 33 years that I may love them, that I may win them. And I want this attitude to be in you. That was in me. And you want to say, show me somebody who knows how to live it. Well, you know Christ did. You say, yeah, but he's Christ. He's God. That didn't count. Go on in the chapter. Paul was poured out like a drink offering in verse 19. He said, I'm poured out for your faith. I'm giving up my life. I live for Christ. He goes on in verse 22 to say, I have no one like Timothy. No one's like him. What's so big deal about Timothy? He said, every man looks out for his own interest. But Timothy looks out for your interest. He goes on down to verse 28 through 30, about, talks about a guy named Epaphroditus. And he said, remember Epaphroditus. He nearly died making up for your lack of service. He risked his life, and the word there for risk is a word parabolonai, not parabolone. <laughs> Alongside the baloney, no. Para, B-O-L-O-N-I. And he gave birth to an early group in the early church called the Parabolonai. And they were the people who buried the dead and ministered to those so sick that you could die because you'd get their disease. They had a whole group in the early church. They were the risk takers. So we know there was people even in the first century that had this attitude about others. Now, let me ask you this question. How do you think about fellow believers? I mean, you've got to talk to yourself. Do you despise them? Now, now here, here's something, by the way. You don't have to like everybody, but you're commanded to love them. Jesus said, love your enemies. Does that give you goosebumps? No. It's a volitional command. Treat even those who oppose you better than they could imagine. For God even gives rain to uh, uh, liberal California when they don't deserve it, and he gives it to the righteous. God doesn't owe unsaved men anything, but he gives them rain. He gives them food. He gives them family. gives them health. gives them finance. He's a good guy. He's good to his enemies. He loved you while you were his enemy. (laughs) 
And so she, then he says, I want you to treat people like I do. And I've shown you my son. I so loved that I made a sacrifice. I gave up my dearly beloved son. So you mean when I get with someone, I ought to think of them uh, like you? Yeah. Because people know when you're with them, they know if in your interpretive data, if you are grading them and they're going below you. Well, she's a woman. She can't be treated as an equal. They're inferior, you know. Two, well, that, they're of another ethnic. Oh, well, man, they're less. Uh, social status. Uh, you don't make much money. You must be a dummy. I'm smarter. Oh, by the way, where did you go to school? Uh, I passed a GED test. Well, you're inferior. See, we start this whole caste system, this whole grading system. Uh, James said, we look at the man when we bring him into church, and first of all, we say, do you have a nice ring? No, you sit over here. We put you back by the swinging doors. You got a ring, you get up in the front. See, these are the people that have the rings right here up front. <laughs> the, even in the church, they were grading. Boom, boom, boom. Jesus and God's word, our standard, we're not relativists. We believe in an absolute standard. It's the word of God. And he said in Romans 8, listen to this. The mind set upon the flesh is death. If you don't think the Bible and spirit taught words, but you think and you interpret people on fleshly standards and fleshly thinking, you will experience spiritual death. But the mind set upon the spirit is life and peace. So you got a choice. Will I think like the spirit? Think like the flesh. Will I be a relativist and make up the rules, or do I bow to the Word of God? Jesus said in John 8, if you abide in my Word, then you are my disciple. If you don't abide in the Word of Christ, and you've got a made-up Christianity, you're just a heretic. You're just an unbeliever. You've invented your own authority, your own God, that's, and you've become that God. You know, we often say, well, I'm hard-headed. Shame on you. I thought we were to be a teachable people. I thought we were always learning. I thought we were constantly following Christ, growing in their understanding. Now, here, let's look at things with believers. We esteem one another. Now, we all differ in so many ways. I think of uh, growing up with people that we were anti-makeup, anti-jewelry, anti-going to theaters, uh, anti-smiling, uh, anti-no, no, we didn't. But there were so many things that we just couldn't do. We couldn't go to a theater. Uh, women did not wear makeup. This is back 50s, 60s. And, and all that stuff, that just became an inherent part of our Christianity. And Paul said, in the church, you've got the strong and the weak. The weak don't think you can eat the meat. The weak don't think you can do this. And the strong brother comes in and say, hey, I just brought some meat from the idol's temple. It's the best meat in town. Let's have a steak dinner. They're asking, where did you get it? 
I got it up at the temple meat market. Oh, I don't eat meat being sacrificed to idols. Deacon Jones says, man, I got over that a long go time ago. That's the best marketplace in town. It's the cheapest meat, and it's the best. Man, every time I eat that, I think there's demons in that meat. <laughs> First Corinthians 8. There's demons in that meat. What? Who told you there's demons in it? Hey, I used to be at that temple. I used to offer my sacrifice. Oh, we left that. There's nothing wrong with the meat. It's why you did it. You put a demon behind the meat. I'm just saying, medium rare, no demon can make it. I want to cook the demon out of it. So they have these differences in the church. Now, it got bad when the Judaizers came. So you've got to be circumcised to be justified. Oh, you better speak up now. Now the gospel's at stake. But you know what? In a weaker, stronger deal, you just say, well, brother, I acknowledge your offense there that you can't eat the meat. I just won't invite you over for dinner. But I'm not going to stop eating the meat. At least it's until you find out I did, then I'll have to apologize, start all over. Love is greater than your liberty. Love, would you give up anything for a brother? Would you do anything to keep someone from being stumbled by what you practice? And so he's telling us we ought to think the same and say, let's just wrap up here how we ought to maintain this unity. Look at the Ephesians 4, and then we'll close with that. I was challenged by this subject. When you tell me i got to think like the other person, we all got to think the same way, I think, well, well, who determines how we think? You know? Because um, we think it's a virtue in churches. That, well, I, I don't agree with anyone. Or not going to make me. Okay, okay. He says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, all unity is based upon love and humility. If you don't love the other person, and if you're proud, you can never get along with people. You can use people, but you can never treat them as they deserve. So we need to be gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And seeing your pride, you'll say, oh, you don't have anything to bear with me. I'm a wonderful person. <laughs> say, if you only knew how obnoxious you are. C.S. Lewis said, many people have an obnoxious personality. He said, don't be too hard on them because they might have become a Christian while having indigestion. And he says, no, it's no more harm to have a warped kind of personality than to have a stomach disorder. I think God ought to catch up on some of us and make us a little nicer. Because some of you have indigestion and you're making me have it. But he's just making that we all don't have the same personality. I mean, I married the exact opposite of my own bent. I married an introvert, extrovert. I married a private person. Uh, she married a public broadcaster of everything about her. She doesn't want to be known. Uh, I like music loud. I like rhythm and blues. 
She says, don't you just love it to be quiet in the morning, alone with Jesus? I said, but what's wrong with playing Surly Caesar in the background? What's wrong with a little upbeat? And then my daughters, at least the first two, we all crank it up. And, and Carolyn was taking long walks. Uh, I mean, totally opposites, totally opposites. Why, why did we ever get together? I was young and ignorant. Her, she'd say that. Now, it was Christ. We love the same things. You know, a lot of that, but a lot of difference of opinion since. That's okay. That's not what he means by thinking the same thing. If you like blue, like it. I like red. What difference does it make? You get some churches, you better all think the same way about non-biblical issues. Where the Word of God hasn't spoken, we are free to have our own opinion. Where God has spoken, you better get in line with God. Now, you got to get God's opinion, and you don't spread a church like the Corinthians. You don't sue one another like they did in chapter 6. You don't sleep with each other when they're not your wife. You better cut that out. You better cut all this rivalry, all this superiority feeling. Cut it out. Because I say so. It's my church, my people, and I set the value. You don't diminish anything I've chosen and saved. See, we ought to look at each other. Just think, with that obnoxious personality, they've been chosen, they've been cleansed, they've been forgiven, they've been made rich in Christ, and God forbid, but they will be my neighbor for eternity. Uh, all the, This is who they are. They don't have to agree with me on everything. To be God's child, you don't devalue what God values. So he says here in chapter 4, he says, right, in verse 3, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We can't make the unity. Only God can do that. Put us all in the same body, Jew and Gentile. But he holds us responsible to maintain it. You see that? You maintain it. Make every effort. And he goes on to say, this is how you maintain it. Seven things all believers agree on. One Lord, one God, one Spirit. One baptism, one body, one faith, and one hope, seven things. I want you all to believe that. If you saw our doctoral statement, Tim and I, uh, and most of you couldn't even pass it. I told Howard Hendricks one time our doctoral statement and what we put people through to be a member here. He said, my lands, Howard, I can go to heaven easier than I can join your church. I said, we're trying to weed out all the bad. He said, I do, I'll, I'll wish you good luck. Because it's such a day of apostasy. We, nobody can join this church, including me. But I am in the real church. I'm in the real church, whether you like it or not. And I believe you are. If you're a believer, I don't care about your label. I don't care how your politics. I'm going to tell you, I was in Dallas one time. There was one guy. Everybody in that church was Republican except John Pugh. And John Pugh was a, a deacon, and he was a union man. And he told me, he said, I'm the only live Democrat in this church. 
but I'm for the working man. You come to California, you're an endangered species if you're a Republican. <laughs> I don't care, John, vote any way you want for whoever you want. It's still a mess. And you can't vote in a Messiah. We don't have them. Get over it, church. Don't waste too much. Why don't you pray for the country? We already know we're in a mess. It's going to take more than an elected official that Congress will eventually blockade. So welcome to America and all of its blessedness. <laughs> we're still better off than any other people under the sun, right? Thank God bless America in all of its struggles. Has he not blessed you with all your warped ways? That gets me in. He goes on to say in the chapter, we didn't have time to look at it, verses 17 through 19, don't act towards one another, don't act towards one another like the old life. I want you to act like the new man in Christ. And then verses 20 to 32, he tells us how to settle differences. Oh, by the way, you'll get mad at each other. He said it. But when you get angry, be sure the devil doesn't get a foothold. And by the way, settle it before you go to bed. Christians don't ever have those. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Sometimes it's your wife you're apologizing to. Do any of you men ever apologize to your wife? Three men. So I can I see three hands? Thank you, Kevin. Okay. I've done the majority of apologizing. Guess why? Let's go on. Uh, um, goes on anger. It tells you to deal with anger. Don't let the devil get a foothold. Oh, by the way, don't use filthy language when you talk to a fellow believer. Get rid of filthy words. You idiot. You this and that. You, hey, 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 you're talking to God's child. You can't talk to the children this way. Listen to me. You can't gossip about them. You can't slander them. Without God grieving his spirit, quenching in you, you're going to lose your joy, you're going to lose your peace, and you're going to be a brawler in the household of faith. You're wrong. You're wrong in spirit. He said in 1 Corinthians 3.17, Beware if you destroy a local church, for if you do, I'll destroy you. You read the verse. That you are the temple, there's plural. You as a group of people constitute a holy temple. And anybody who destroys my temple, I will destroy. Does that scare you? It should. It scares me. That's why all means I got to get along with you because God might kill me. <laughs> I went through a time I asked God to kill a sister I couldn't stand. I just thought she's working against me, and Miss, boy, this is kind of confess all Sunday. Let's get it all out. <laughs> That's why I started preaching. I'm just talking. I mean, this gal just, just I thought, betraying and, and gossiping. And so as humbly as I could, I said, Lord, do me a favor and take her home. <laughs> because I knew First John 5, there's a sin unto death. And she was working. She was sowing discord and 
you know, I had my reasons. I tell you, I got so sick. I, I, I said, Lord, did the request get messed up on the way up? <laughs> I said, get her. <laughs> Not me. I'm right, you know. I'm right. And God said, boy, you don't be figuring out death sentences for people. And you know what would really mess up your prayer life? Jesus said, nobody in heaven wants to hear you until you forgive your brother. Ephesians 4 says it. The Lord's Prayer says it. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive. I don't want to forgive. Go ahead, lose your prayer life. God doesn't want to talk to you until you forgive me. I'm not worth it. Get your prayer life back. Get your prayer life back. Forgive your mate. Forgive your children. Forgive your neighbor. Whoever the grievance is. See, the thing in differences, we always think we're the most right. So pride takes over. Can't humble myself to say I could be wrong. So we just build the bridges and get further and further apart. I'm over time. That's another reason people fight church. He goes too long. <laughs> uh, but it goes on in there, verses 20, 32, don't grieve the spirit, get rid of all hate, bad. Oh, by the way, forgive as God the Father has forgiven you for Christ's sake. On and on. We are to think the same way towards one another as God thinks towards them. We don't have to like their color, their ethnicity, their social status, their personality. Just love them and esteem them. And some of us are such spoiled brats. Unless everybody is just like what I want, I can't like you. God didn't ask you to like. He told you to love and esteem them as people he values. Now, if you depreciate what God has made in his own image, saved by the blood of his son, put the Holy Spirit in, shame on you, God will deal with you. Because a sign that we belong to Christ is they love each other. Do you think the same about your brother and sister as Jesus does? That's the measure. Think the same way about them. I kind of hate that because that's really going to kick up your worth. That's going to make me say, <laughs> I haven't been acting like, no, you haven't because they haven't passed your inspection list. Well, who made you the rule? I thought you were following my words, and my word says, greet your brother and sister with a holy kiss. In those days, holy affection. And some of you, you drag in and you run out and wonder why fellowship doesn't get a hold of you. You belong to a club. You don't belong to a church. A church gets to know one another, love one another, help one another. That's a church, not a club. We're not a club. We're the people of God. And see, the early church was planted in the Roman Empire where there was an open bounty price on every Christian. Kill a Christian, 
and you'll do the Roman Empire a favor. They needed each other. They wanted each other. When I was in uh, Morocco went years ago with the foxes, we went and saw where our missionary was in Spain, and they were working with the Berbers in North Africa. We went to Morocco. We went to the city of Fez. And in the city of Fez, uh, there was only one piece of property in all of northern Morocco that we knew of that was dedicated for the place of Christian worship. 99% Muslim country. We don't, we don't allow Christianity. But this had been a treaty that had gone back hundreds of years, and this one spot in the city that was like a labyrinth of streets, like uh, almost like caverns, right? It, it was weird. You thought you were going back a thousand years in time. And we got there. The, this, uh, our missionary took us to this place, and there happened to be a guy there that was a Christian Missionary Alliance. He was the fellow over it at that time. And uh, we got in there, and we're talking with him. And, uh, and I asked, I said, by the way, how do you get along with the other missionaries? And he just started laughing. He said, you kidding? What do you mean? I said, well, you know, you got different groups out here. you got Pentecostals, Baptists, uh, CMA, and Presbyterian. He said, oh, 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 anything out here that's Christian looks good. Are you aware, mister, that 99% of this country is Muslim, and if they had permission, they'd kill us in a minute? I said, well, how do you do doctrinally? He said, oh, oh. He said, we don't have the luxury of debating with each other until we go back to the States. But out here, we need each other. Out here, we're brothers. Out here, to just call Jesus Lord makes you family. You go back to the States to fight over the millennium, fight over the tribulation, fight over lordship salvation. I asked the Quampati, I said, did you grow up on lordship salvation where Christ has to be Lord? He said, are you kidding? I had to flee my father, flee the village, and I wind up in New Delhi living under an overpass because all of my village and family were going to kill me because I'd become a Christian. He said, you think I need to be taught about lordship salvation? You don't name Christ in India without risking your life. It's only in America that you're going to have cheap Christianity that calls him Lord and do as we please. Not there when your life is on the line. Think the same toward the brother and sister that Christ died to purchase. Do not devalue our brother or sister. Amen? Amen. Music come. Let's stand.